It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by ANZ Home Loans for financial well-beings. And welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Breakfast, available of course every morning on iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcast from. It is a Sunday, welcome to it, I hope your weekend is going well. It is April the 2nd, good to get off April the 1st. And coming up this morning we have Seven days of real estate, kicking off with Warren Hogan talking about the RBA and the rate rises. And are they going up enough to avoid a long-term crash? Also, Erin is here. Now, if you'd like to find out the latest about high net worth individuals who are investing in overseas properties and all of that, we will find out more about that from Erin and also Lux properties in Australia and Claire Corby is in why is Canberra flying under the radar is the question when it's quite often matching prices of Melbourne and Sydney we also talk to Andrew Crotty about the Melbourne market and the successful outcome of a property auction that fetched for the vendors 500k over reserve which is a very nice little early Christmas Christmas present. And also Andrew from Bendigo is here to tell us about why first home buyers are making Bendigo home. So that is all coming up as part of our seven days of real estate. Every morning from 6am, we bring you the latest real estate news with diverse perspectives from leading industry experts. We deliver the most property podcasts across Australia every week. It's your weekend real estate podcast. And if you're celebrating a birthday for today, the 2nd of April, happy birthday to you. I hope somebody's delivering the cake to you. Michael Fassbender, the German and Irish actor, he is on the birthday list. He is turning 46. Pedro Pascal, he's 47 today. And back home, Rove McManus, gee, Rove is just one year off turning 50. And Heath Ledger would have been celebrating his birthday today. Heath would have been 44. It's the main centre forecast. And around the country on our Sunday we go. Let's check on that all-important weather word. Good morning if you are in Sydney. Expecting, unfortunately, some showers today and a high of 22. Melbourne, partly cloudy, but it should be mainly dry for your Sunday. 19 is your forecast top. Brisbane, expect a few showers with 27. And in Perth, the other side, expecting sunny blue skies with 28 degrees. We're a lot more than just real estate. Available for breakfast from 6am. Then, on the drive to work or in your ear at the gym. In fact, wherever you go, we're available seven days a week. Enjoy your morning coffee. It's your real estate weekend podcast in review. Of course, the standout feature right now in early 2023 is the fact that the Reserve Bank of Australia is lagging behind other central banks in getting rates up. And that's partly because we have more standard variable mortgage rates in our market and that they need to be careful. 
but it doesn't change the end game in my mind. So we can see that the US is near five and New Zealand is near five on their interest rate. Canada's just paused for four and a half. And that's why I've got this view that later in the year, the RBA will probably ultimately have to get the cash rate up to around four and a quarter or four and a half, which seems to be at at this stage anyway, the minimum level that'll get this inflation back under control in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. And what about the stabilisation in the property market? Since summer, I think it's fair to say that it has stabilised somewhat. Is it over or is it still going to continue, do you think? Look, my work on this and and, and with Halo Technologies, I, I do a lot of work around property with Halo Property. The substantial falls we've seen to date in Australian property prices are only about half the correction that will ultimately be needed. If indeed my assessment is right that the RBA cash rate needs to get up to around four to four and a half percent, we need to get the real interest rate, that is interest rates minus inflation, up to at least zero, if not a bit higher. So it looks like we're only about halfway through the correction. What we're seeing is this period of stability because the economy is doing well. And although we're hearing many stories about households that are struggling to make mortgage payments on top of all the other cost of living pressures that are out there, and even some businesses which are under pressure from higher funding costs or costs of their loans, I think the reality is is that a mortgage rate of 5 or 6% or a business lending rate of 5 or 6% for many Australian households or many Australian businesses is actually fine. And so because people have got jobs and they feel quite confident that they're going to keep their job, if they feel like they need to buy a house or upgrade, they're still doing that. And, and so I think that highlights this point that interest rates probably aren't quite where they need to be that while we're hearing about these terrible stories of distress, for many people in the Australian economy, they're they're still doing pretty well. And and there's a question mark about whether or not that will reduce the growth in the economy that will get inflation down. So unfortunately, my sense of it is, is that we may have a bit of a hiatus from the correction in February, March, and even April if the RBA pauses for an extended period. But I do think the correction still has some way to go. And we may see at least another 5%, if not 10% fall in national house prices before this is all said and done, which at the moment, I think the bottom of the market's likely to be at the end of 23 or early 24. Okay, that's interesting. And the next economic figures the RBA will be magnifying over is due out towards the end of next month. What what do you think that that's likely to reveal about the Australian economy? Well, the big number will be that quarterly inflation number at the end of April. Hopefully, it'll confirm what we're all seeing, and that is that the the high point for inflation is behind us. We've had some monthly figures which point to that, and most other economies around the world are now seeing inflation come down a bit. But that's really not enough. It, it's, it's about getting it all the way back down to you know around 3% in Australia at the top of our target, or for many other central banks, it's actually 2%. I think we're at a very critical point for, for many economies and for Australia in trying to understand whether or not these interest rate increases to date are having the desired effect to slow the economy, to get the soft landing, and to get that inflation out of the economy without interest rates having to go too high. And we'll be watching all of that data very closely. It's your Real Estate Weekend podcast in review. So actually the numbers according to our wealth, Knight Frank's Wealth Report have actually remained fairly um, fairly steady on that. So only 12% of Australians own property overseas. So the majority of residential property that they own is in Australia. When asked where they would consider buying a property overseas, Australia's ultra-wealthy ultra um, are looking to buy um, primarily in the US and the UK, and then that's followed by New Zealand, Switzerland and France. 
Ah, so Dubai didn't come up at all. It must have come up. It didn't. Oh, it didn't in those wow. top figures, although that is a market that is performing particularly well at the moment, but um, not not in the top five for Australians. <laughs> wow, yeah, okay. And uh, if you drill down on that even more, what nationalities own prestige homes in Australia? This will be an interesting one for people to listen to. Yeah, absolutely it's an interesting one. So I think there are a lot of preconceived ideas about who controls this sector of the market and who are the big spenders, but certainly based on prime residential properties in Australia, the top three international owners are, drumroll, (laughs) UK, the US and Singapore. Oh, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Especially with the US, I find that one to be, I just wouldn't have picked it. Absolutely. So for international ultra high net worths looking to buy their next home, Australia ranks in the top three. So it's typically the US or the statistics say the US, the UK, and then Australia. And interestingly, when planning to purchase a new home in 2023, ultra high net worths from Malaysia rank highest with 86% wanting to buy in Australia. And then that's followed by 36% with Singaporeans and 34% mainland Chinese. You must have a bit of fun doing these reports, eh? Because there must be some surprises that come out as a result. Yeah, I think what's lovely about these reports is often when we're on the ground working with individuals and developers and purchasers, yeah, we have a hunch that something is the way it is, but it is fantastic to be able to give our clients solid data to say, actually, I had a hunch that this was the case, but here is the data to back it up. And at night, Frank, that's certainly the way we like to advise our clients. It's your Real Estate Weekend Podcast in Review. A lot of the time people are asking questions like, well, what does a buyer's agent do or or what do you buy? So it's really getting back to that core fundamentals of making sure people understand what we're doing, why we're doing it and how it can benefit them. And what are some of the quirks that people should know about when it comes to buying in the Canberra market? Because there's one or two quirks, isn't there? Oh, certainly, certainly. Canberra has quite unique characteristics sometimes. And, you know, from a legal perspective, I think a lot of people trying to get their head around the fact that we have leasehold titles here. And the lease is actually a crown lease. So it's a 99-year lease. You don't actually own the land as you would in a freehold title situation, which can really throw some people. But again, it's about how do we do that and what are the quirks? And as some of those leases are coming up for expiry, as you said, we're 110 years old and these are only 99-year leases, how is it that they're being renewed? And there's some questions and some understanding of the market that needs to happen there. And also, of course, no land tax thresholds. Uh, Can you just tell the audience a little bit about that? Oh, yes, definitely. So no land tax threshold means you need to be aware if your property is vacant or is producing income, you need to know that that's a cost that's going to be there from you know the single first dollar that you spend. There's no threshold and no exemption for any set values as you see in other states and territories. And similarly, while we're on the topic of, of taxes, stamp duty is going down, but rates are also going up. So for investors, there can be this resistance around the amount of taxes and, and legislation and quirks in Canberra. So so it's got to work really cash flow getting down to how does it work long term. And you find a lot of people are attracted to Canberra because it's more of that conservative nest egg, put it there for the capital growth long term rather than going for yield. I think that's how you'd probably position Canberra on the whole. We do often get clients that are um, after a hybrid brief. So it might be something they're posted to Canberra for work, for instance. And they're actually wanting after that to 
flip it to be an investment and then maybe back again once they're posted back to Canberra. There's, uh, there's a lot of different reasons why people might invest in Canberra or buy in Canberra and then change the brief from one to the other. We deliver the most property podcasts across Australia every week. It's your real estate weekend podcast in review. Now, I want to go to a sale which you were involved with there in Glen Iris. I think this was about a week or so ago. Quite an interesting one because it was a four-bedder. It was on a 620. 21 square metre block and it was able to achieve more than $500,000 over the reserve, which is a pretty good result. Tell us about that. It was. It was a great result. Everyone was very, very happy there. Uh, reserve on the property was 1.7 and it ultimately sold for 2205 I think it was. It was a great result. Look, it, it ultimately got chased by two people who had lived opposite. It was opposite the park there. Gardens Creek was at the end of the street, so it's a popular little spot uh, with the families. Two developers that were looking to sort of build two and live in one basically sort of fought that out really from about 1.8 to the 2.2 and uh, they weren't going to let it go. So that proved to be profitable for the owner, who was lovely, a fantastic vendor. And and it certainly shows that there is confidence out there in the market if you've got good real estate. Well, that's what I really wanted to mention in all of this, because there's obviously confidence in that particular pocket, not probably just that pocket. But as you say, when it comes to good quality stuff, it is moving. And that's a that's a really good boost. I mean, half a million dollars over reserve. So that was an auction. And I understand that you had a lot of people through as well. So it's not like just a handful of people showed up. No, we had 102 people through for the campaign. Coming into auction day, we had five people registered to bid. That's always a little bit tricky, in particular in this this market. If you're going to an auction and you think you've got six people ready to bid, you'll end up with three people actually bidding. If you think you've got four, you'll end up with two. And people, it's just the way it tends to work. So we had five people registered to bid and we had three people actually turn up to bid, which was good. I think the house market is slightly different to the apartment market at the moment, though. But the houses, and particularly houses that are on significant parcels of land or in very good areas are still traveling extremely well the apartment market was more hit around by COVID and then the interest rates and then the exodus of a lot of uh, investors and so forth or people consolidating selling uh, uh, an investment uh, apartment that they've got to put it into the mortgage with uh, the signs of interest rates and things like that so apartments are a little bit tougher though but the houses good houses good blocks of land or in good positions are still getting good results in this market. The other thing that we've talked obviously a lot about over the last uh, 12 months is uh, the amount of people that are moving out of the larger cities, moving out of the, the likes of the Melbourne going into Bendigo. So what have you been noticing around that over the last, uh, let's say the last six months in terms of people moving in? So what we've found is people have realised that they don't necessarily need to travel to their place of employment or their office block in Melbourne every day. So that's encouraging people to come out from Melbourne or even the suburbs of Melbourne, have the lifestyle out here, potentially work from home and go to Melbourne one day a week. So what we're finding is because we are so affordable still, people can enjoy the sporting facilities we have and also the friendships that they have because when you're in Melbourne and you're traveling, there's two hours out of your day that's just gone. 
you know, I live seven minutes from the office and most people within Bendigo work and live seven or eight minutes apart. So it just gives you more family time being in a regional location, but still being able to still work remotely if you, if you wish to. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast.